Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to the new Jesus. Um, we're taking a step at a time. Uh, trying roughly to start at the beginning and step, step, step to spiritual maturity, our best possible life or as close as we can get to it, living in love, joy, and peace as best we can in this planet and in this fleshly body. Um, that's where we're headed, okay? And um, Every week kind of builds on the last, so if you're just joining us, you might check out uh, some of the past ones. I think um, uh, you'd understand better. Uh, I am trying to review just a little bit at the first of each one, uh, so you're not totally lost. I hope that's working. Okay, so here's where we left off uh, last week, and I haven't changed anything on this board. I did erase a couple of things. But um, everything from last week, I believe, is still represented here. Uh, everything comes down to your beliefs, and that is scripturally as well as scientifically. And, and it's your health as well as your uh, performance at your job. It's your, how your relationships go and everything else. Everything boils down to your beliefs. Your beliefs are interpretations of your memories, including memories passed down from past generations, sins of the fathers, if you will, that you don't even know that you have, but the negative ones can be spiking your stress, and you think it's about something going on in your life right now, when really it's not. It's about something in your heart. And that's why God says, I want the heart, I look at the heart, I judge the heart, the heart is where it's at, biblically. And so every belief is looking at all of the memories you have and can access related to that issue, whether it's Ford versus Chevy or Republican versus Democrat or standard medicine versus alternative. Doesn't matter what it is. 
however many memories you have related to that, your unconscious mind accesses all of them. Just like going on your computer and saying, pull up every file I have that has the word rock in it. Okay? Your mind works much the same way by association. And so maybe about Ford versus Chevy, you have 723 memories where Ford versus Chevy was mentioned, uh, performance, ratings, awards, things like that. All of those are activated and your mind in a microsecond goes through all of those and makes a determination of what your primary beliefs about Ford versus Chevy, what that is. And there can be multiple conflicting beliefs. One that says buy Chevy, one that says buy Ford. One that says I should not take this drink of alcohol tonight because I typically get drunk when I do that. And one that says, no, you should take the drink. You've had a hard day. You need to chill out. We'll start weaning off tomorrow. One that says, yes, exercise and lose this weight and get in better shape and better health. And then another belief from the same memories that says, no, don't exercise today. We're absolutely fine. You don't need that. You'll be all right without it. Plus, we're too tired to do that right now. Maybe we'll start it tomorrow. Okay? So everything boils down to your beliefs. Your beliefs are interpretations of your memories, including ones that are unconscious to you, ones absorbed from other people, ones uh, from your ancestry going back hundreds of years. All of that is in one hard drive, human hard drive, if you will. And every time something's happening in your life, your little supervisor of your mind types in metaphorically whatever's happening. Uh, conflict with spouse. Uh, late on a project at work. Whatever. And that brings up the memories, all the relevant ones, even if there are multiple conflicting ones, the feelings that go with each of those, the the brain chemistry, the body hormones, etc. Uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, MD, says in his wonderful best-selling book that anytime we think about something, that every memory related to that is activated and the same chemicals, emotions, thoughts, feelings, beliefs, hormones are released as when those things actually happen which could be hundreds of years ago. Now maybe not as much is released, like massive adrenaline was released when somebody was in a car accident. Well, when they remember that car accident, adrenaline is released and the same emotions, chemicals, hormones, feelings, but probably not nearly as much adrenaline as with the original event, but still plenty to put you in stress, fight or flight, whatever. So, uh, if we're not careful, based on the devolution of our memories over millennia and having conflicting memories about the same issues, which can be very confusing and which can make you feel like, well, it's okay to do this one because that's the one I thought of. You know, don't exercise today, we'll start it tomorrow. Only that happens every 
single day. All right? Uh, so, everything boils down to our beliefs, including our sense of value, identity, worth. Um, it's all about love, but how we've been loved or not loved basically determines the beliefs. If we've had a lot of fear and anger poured into us in utero and in those formative years of life, then we will tend to have beliefs related to fear and anger, not love. And so our belief in our fear of death is going to tend to be high, all right? If we don't have a lot of fear, anger memories, but in our formative years we were loved very well, not perfectly, that never happens, but we were loved well, then our belief is in love. And that's what, so we feel... We do have value, our identity is pretty good, we have worth, etc. Alright? And then, basically, when we get to 10 or 12, all of that internal hard, hard drive programming is pretty much set, which means later it's much more difficult to change, but it can change. And that's what we're trying to walk through. Okay. And we've been talking for a long time now. It's basically the high road versus the low road. Although I might even add something to that, like the highest road. Because there's other high roads. Uh, for instance, just a belief in love and trying to live that is a high road. But I don't think it's the highest road. The highest road is being... Uh, in right relationship with God and having a loving relationship with God. That's the highest road, which, you can, which I don't think the other one can get that high without the right relationship with God, okay? So I would almost say the highest road. And then belief is always affected by time, okay? So if you've got a belief issue, which we all do, you probably have a belief and view of time that is skewing your beliefs to the seek pleasure, avoid pain, control circumstances and end results, etc. Rather than giving God control, relaxing, um, no stress, everything's going to be okay because I have an outcome guarantee, etc. So, it's all about belief in fear versus fear of death. Uh, we talked about 2 Corinthians 4.10, the amazing, unbelievable uh, truth that the life of Jesus will manifest in my physical body. And Oswald Chambers says, if, the, if and when that happens, because, because I choose to obey God in something that's difficult for me to obey. Painful, a desire that's unhealthy for me, but attractive because it'll feel good, um, adversity, whatever. If in those situations I say, Lord, I'd be delighted to obey you in this and not argue. Oswald says, if I do that instantly, Jesus moves to the forefront of my life and everything that would 
be involved with that, him leading and guiding me to all truth, comfort, counsel, healing, etc. All right? And that what happens in my physical body will glorify him, which is not a formula for healing. Sometimes it'll be healing, sometimes it won't, sometimes it'll be healing later, but it is a formula for the best outcome. And then last week we mainly focused here. Uh, that if this stuff we're talking about up to this point is true, then if I choose the wrong way to go, that the um, God makes it as if I had chosen right. And to me, um, boy, so much of this life and our problems and trying to live our best life and uh, joy versus sadness, anxiety versus peace, so much of this boils down to that one thing. If I give him control, if I delight myself in him, if when adversity hits, instead of fighting or cursing or being upset about it, and even if I do it, I do it with a bad attitude, um, that if I choose wrong, he makes it as if I had chosen right. Uh, it's, it's a guarantee that really is difficult to fully comprehend. It's so unbelievable. Nothing else in the natural universe works that way. Okay? And the formula is your will be done life moment by moment. Focused in the present in love as best I can. Giving up in results. Um, but working toward what I believe God would have me do and work toward. Alright? So that's sort of a, a review you missed last week. And this week we're going to take another big, huge step forward, I believe. Most of you are familiar with the passage, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Um, a couple of things about that. It does not say the truth will set you free, which was the translation I grew up on. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's a mistranslation. It's you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, what's the difference? The making in the original language indicates it could be right now or it could be over a period of time. Not necessarily instantly. Set you free is instant. That's like unlocking the jail cell and the guy walks out. All right? But that's not what Scripture says. It says make you free, not set you free. And then, one of my favorite parables, the parable of the sower, says that the seed is sown, you know, in all these different places, rocky soil, soil where there's thorns, soil where the birds come and grab it, soil where um, it's good earth and it grows up and produces fruit. And at the end of that, in the explanation, Jesus says, if the evil one comes and snatches it away, the seed, which represents truth, the word, if the evil one comes and snatches it away before it can be understood, then it will never 
produce fruit. Okay? So, it's not just the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's understanding the truth. And understanding is required for something to become a belief. Now, it can be a misunderstanding, which means it, it leads to making things worse, and that usually happens either from bias that's already inside of you, uh, errors, lies, untruths in your memories, or it's been taught to you, or you've obser observed and absorbed it from other people. Okay, there's various ways, all right? But you can misunderstand the truth and it can either keep you on the wrong road or make you even go possibly to a worse road or one that will take you longer to get away from and back to the right road. On the other hand, if you do understand the whole truth, which is where the word integrity comes from, that will make you free and that will lead to a transforming belief that will start to change your brain chemicals, hormones, thoughts, emotions, actions, habits, everything. All right? So you've got to search for the whole truth, try to put your prejudices, biases aside, search for the whole truth, then try to look at it objectively and pray and meditate over it until you feel like, okay, I believe I've arrived at the true belief that can make me free and transform my life. All right. Um, so what we're talking about, the um, uh, your will be done life, moment by moment, is for the best outcome every time. It's for the formula for the best outcome every time. Now, we don't know what that outcome is. God does. But that's the way to get it. All right? So, let's take the next step this week. And here's the big one. Okay, last week we talked about if I choose wrong, if I have several options, or at least two, and I'm trying to make the right choice, but I miss it. For whatever reason, bias, prejudice, someone else influences me, I get caught up in thinking about money too much, whatever, okay? I'm trying to make the right choice, but I miss it, which I've done a whole bunch of times. He makes it as if I had chosen right. Okay, but, what if I was not trying to choose the right way? Maybe I knew the right way or believed, okay, this, is, this would be the right way. This would be the way I believe God would want me to go. But, ooh, I just really need to feel good for a few minutes. So, I'm going to take this way anyway, even though I do not think it's the right or best way. I think it's probably... A wrong way, and yes, I'm still committed to God overall in my life. Absolutely. This doesn't change that one iota. I just need to feel good for a little bit 
right now. And so even though I feel bad about it, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take the drink. I'm going to look at something on the internet I shouldn't look at. I'm going to be unkind to somebody. Whatever. All right? But what about intentional sin? That would be intentional in light of grace. So, last week, I'm trying to do the right thing. My intention is to do the right thing. This week, but what if my intention is to sin? Even though, overall, I'm still committed. Really, I really am, in the bottom of my heart, to the Lord. Uh, my 100% plan is to stop doing this stuff, but the habit and addiction has a hold of me, and either chemically or emotionally, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to turn off the God channel so it doesn't make me feel quite so guilty while I do it, and do it, and then after I do it, I'll probably repent and confess and all that. Um, I'm sure you've never done any of this in your life. That's sarcastic. Uh, almost everyone I've ever talked to has had this in their life to some extent. So, what if the sin is intentional? What then? Alright. Romans 8 is the outcome guarantee. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, which I believe by and large is love. And although there can be specific purposes for you, and I would go back and watch the five big questions because one of those questions is what's your purpose in life, all right? But love is a lot of it, okay? So Romans 8 says, all things work together for good as long as my intention and my heart is committed to God and the right path long term. Even if I intentionally sin right now because of the weakness of the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All have sinned and fallen short. Not about works, lest anyone should boast. Wasn't even about works for Abraham in the Old Testament. Paul says, was Abraham justified by what he did or because he believed? The right answer is because of what he did, based on New Testament, Old Testament law. But Paul's answer was not that. It was, no, it was not by what he, believed, what he did. It was because he believed, which is exactly what Jesus said um, when um, his dear friend, died. Lazarus died. And they sent word to him. And he knew he was going to die. And he delayed letting him die. Comes back. He's dead. Has been dead for days. Jesus asked Martha twice, do you believe? You will see the glory of God manifested this day. But do if you believe. So do you believe? And on the second one, Mary said, yes, I believe and said her belief, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Okay? So, Romans 7, the guaranteed outcome. Okay? If that's where your commitment is, all things work together for good for you. 
All things. Not some things, all things. Okay, is intentional sin included in all things? Well, of course it is. <laughs> That's a philosophical um, wrong initial premise. If it's not, because then you can't say all things if it doesn't include intentional sin. Okay? It has to include that. Alright? So, all things work together for good if you're committed to God, walking in the light as He is in the light. That's John 1. Uh, actually, that passage says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of Jesus continually, that's the word, continually, cleanses us from all sin. That word continually, the picture for that is either your windshield wipers, as soon as rain hits the windshield, it's wiped away, or the other picture is um, standing in a shower with the shower running on you and someone opens the shower door and throws a bucket of mud onto you. Alright? Well, what's going to happen to the mud? Well, immediately, the water's going to wash it away. Alright? And then I'll use the soap and be completely clean. It, like that mud was never thrown on me. If we walk in the light as He's in the light, how are we in the light? I'm committed to Him. Long term. Uh, my, my vow and commitment is to love you as you have loved me, to focus on love in the present moment, to give up the end result to you, your will be done, moment by moment. But I am weak and I fall all the time. And part of that falling may be accidental, but absolutely part of it is intentional sin. How do you know? Romans 7. Let's back up one chapter. Uh, a passage that literally saved my life when I was in my mid-twenties and everything in my life was heading for the ditches or already there, all right? And here's what Paul says. Look it up for yourself. What I do is not what I want to do, but I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. And I do this over and over and over and over. What's he talking about? He's talking, I think he's talking about both. I think he's talking about sometimes accidentally I just kind of forget and do something that's based on the desires of the flesh. But I think much, much more he's talking about intentional sin. I do what I don't want to do. He knows he's doing it. He knows it's not what he wants to do. He doesn't do what he does want to do. He knows he should be doing it. And he doesn't. Uh, there's a story in Scripture. Paul went to Troas to preach. And he was expecting, I believe it was Timothy, to join him there. And it says that God had opened up a door of opportunity in Troas for Paul to preach. So God has intervened and made this a very warm, accepting audience that will be a great place for Paul to preach and probably uh, a good number of the people who were there would become believers committed to the Lord. Might start a, 
uh, a new church there or something. I don't know. But, but anyway, Timothy doesn't come. And Scripture says Paul was so distressed that he couldn't preach. He left. God had sent him there. God had arranged the circumstances. But Paul gets depressed because Timothy didn't come and leaves without preaching. Unbelievable. Well, the next verse is surely, isn't it, that God struck him down for his sin. Or God said, Paul, that's a, you're, you're not my number one guy anymore. I thought I could count on you, but you went to Troas and blew it. So you're number two now. I'm demoting you. And No, none of that. None of that. As far as we can tell, Paul is just as saved as he was before. He's just as loved by God as he was before. Alright? That was intentional sin. Paul knew God had, what God had instructed him to do and that he'd opened the door of opportunity. In spite of that, he disobeys God, walks away. Alright, so Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I do want to do, and I do it over and over and over. And then here comes the spiritual balm. I didn't say bomb, I said balm. Balm for like healing. Paul says in Romans 7, when that happens, it is not me doing it. It is sin living in me. What does that mean? It means that God does not assign the sin to Paul. Ever. Where does he assign it? To Jesus. Okay? Jesus bore that sin to the cross. He paid for it. Okay? If you go buy something at the hardware store and you pay for it, who does that now belong to? doesn't belong to the hardware store anymore. belongs to me, and I've got a receipt to prove it. Okay? Does it have to be paid for again, the hammer? No! You pay for the hammer once, that's it. And whoever paid for it is who owns it. Jesus paid for Paul's intentional sin of walking away, and yours. Jesus paid for that, He's got the receipt for it, and it does not have to be paid for twice. So there's no reason to put it under Paul's name or your sin under yours. Because yours was paid for Jesus by Jesus too. Jesus has the receipt for that. The one you'll commit today, 10 years ago, 10 years from now, all of them, okay? They're already paid for. God has the receipt and it does not have to be paid for twice. That's the whole thing about propitiation and Jesus coming. If we could have been good enough to do it ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. All have sinned. And God knew that before the foundation of the world. That's why Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Okay. And, and that includes the Romans 7 intentional sin, that includes having dual beliefs and making the wrong choice, as we talked about last week, too. But yes, 
if you haven't caught it yet, if you haven't understood it yet, what I'm saying, I believe, is that this applies God's best outcome every time. Results guarantee applies to both unintentional mistakes or sins and I believe also to intentional sin. As long as I'm still overall in my life committed to God and when I do do that sin, I say I'm sorry. Okay? Which is necessary. We're told to repent and confess. I don't think that's for God. I think that's for us. Repenting and confessing, uh, you know, a lie detector is a stress test. And so you tell a lie and the stress test goes like that. All right? Confessing and repenting makes the stress test like that calm down. And I've tested that many times. All right? right in the middle of someone repenting and confessing and praying, and I had them hooked up to uh, the instruments, etc. All right? Plus, that's, that's third grade. You know the book, Everything I Need to Know, I learned in kindergarten, that bestseller a couple of decades ago? One of those is when you do something you shouldn't have done or when you hurt somebody, you say you're sorry. Well, part of that's for them and part of it's for me. God doesn't need that. He already knows my heart. But when I confess it, I'm sorry, Father. Please forgive me for doing that. I knew I shouldn't have done it. I did it anyway. Please forgive me. And then I should shift to gratitude and thankfulness because he's promised he will. And he's promised he will make the best outcome happen for me every time. Psalm 32.1. Let's go a little bit further. Blessed is the man whose sin is never counted against him. You ever heard that passage for uh, the first three and a half decades of my life? I'd never heard it in the religious strict group that I came up, but it is absolutely there. I didn't make it up. It's there. Look it up. Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is the man whose sin is never counted against him. Well, who is that man? The man who's walking in the light, John 1. What does that mean? It means that overall, my commitment in life is to God and, and my intention is to be obedient to Him, to do what He says, not what the desires of the flesh say, to focus in the present in love, to give up the end result to Him as a sacrifice. That, that's it. Now, I may commit 20 sins a day, and still do that, and I'm still in the light, as best I can tell by Scripture. How do I get out of the light? I decommit to God. I said, nope, God, I'm out of here. I don't want to do anything else to do with this. You are not, I, I may not even believe that you exist, but if I do, I'm done with you. You've let me experience too much pain. You should have saved that kid. You should have stopped that from happening, whatever. I'm out of here. That's how you get out of the light. Once you have committed, uh, been baptized, repented, confessed, um, with all your heart, said, okay, I'll never do this right, but as best I can for the rest of my life, here's how I'm going to live my life. As long as you're still there, 
no matter how many sins you're committing, it appears to me from Scripture you are still saved. You are still in the light. The best outcome applies to intentional and unintentional sin. Okay. John 1. We already talked about it. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're continually cleansed. Uh, the windshield wiper or the bucket of mud, but I'm in the shower and so it immediately. It means continually, automatically, constantly. And that's consistent with Jesus being the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And how Jesus could go to the cross for my sin that won't happen until tomorrow. All right? Okay. Um, intentional sin is not the unforgivable sin. Scripture talks about an unforgivable sin. And I'm not a scholar. But I've consulted with a bunch of scholars and done a lot of research myself. And every one of them I've talked to or researched has basically said the same thing. That the unforgivable sin is what I just described. It's that I decide, after being in the light, after experiencing relationship and the love of God, after understanding Scripture to the point of being made free, etc., 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 I leave of my own free will. And my intention now is that I am not committed to God. I am decommitting. I'm going to live my life for seek pleasure, avoid pain, or just get as much as I can, what I want, when I want. Or I'm going to go to some cultic religion that for some reason... Uh, feels better to me, even though I guarantee you it won't in the end, all right? That is the unforgivable sin. But understand, that even that is only the unforgivable sin if I never change my mind and come back. Because in, t in my entire lifetime, even if I have done that and gotten out of the light, I've gotten out of the shower, so now I've got mud on me and, and, and can't get it washed off. But if I come back, go to the high road again from the low road, say, Father, I'm so sorry. I want to come back. I'm committing again my life to you. Then you never did the unforgivable sin. Because the unforgivable sin means you never change your mind and you never come back. So, in essence, the unforgivable sin is up to you. It's not up to God. God is ready to forgive you, love you, accept you, make you righteous, give you the righteousness of Christ, a new heart, the mind of Christ, guarantee your outcome, all of that at any point. Any point. No matter how terrible you've been. All right? It is your choice whether to disavow God, take away your commitment, and leave, or 10 years later, 20 years later, on your deathbed, I don't think it matters. You come back, and God will forgive and accept you back. 
that's the parable of the um, prodigal son. All right? Uh, no matter what he had done, the father welcomes him back. The unforgivable sin would have been the um, prodigal son who never came back. Now, the father would have still been looking for him, waiting for him, hoping he would come back. All right? And if he did, welcome him with open arms, not as a servant, but as a son, just like us. All right? But that's when, that would only be if he did not come back. In the story, he did. Um, I've also shared with you uh, the story of my friend Todd, who felt called to be a street preacher for a couple of years. Not a, not a Bible banger, you know, fire and brimstone kind of guy, but a loving, kind, grace kind of thing. Really wonderful, in my opinion. And his favorite thing to do was go into the bars, have a beer, and talk to the prostitutes. Okay? And after getting to know him a little bit, he would, he would ask them a question. Did you know that there will not be anyone in heaven, anyone in hell, whatever hell is, because of sin. When he asked them that, he said that uh, their, their personality, their countenance toward him would change. And now they are thinking, oh, this guy knows I'm a prostitute. He's poking at me with a stick. He's having fun with me. Okay? He would ensure to them you know, I'm not messing with you. This is true. The second phase, the prostitute, well, this just cannot be true, okay? Uh, I think this guy's not messing with me now. He's convinced me of that, but he's just wrong. No way that's true. Todd keeps talking to him over days, weeks, months, maybe a couple of them years, finally convinces them it, it's true. Stage three of the prostitute. Oh my goodness. You mean my life isn't over? You mean there's still a chance? There's still hope for me? And Todd would lead them out to a better, happier life, to start their life over um, really beautiful um, scenario. Um, prostitution is not the unforgivable sin. And they would ask Todd, a lot of them, uh, after they were convinced, okay, but wait a minute. Um, I've got a daughter, I've got a son, and, and I've got to make money. And right now, the only way I have to make money is prostitution. If if, if I commit myself to God, does that, does that mean that right now I have to stop being a prostitute? And Todd's answer is a surprising one. No, you don't have to quit right now. God loves you and his grace is extended to you even in intentional sin. As long as you really are committed to him, and your plan is to be obedient. Okay? And then you start doing that in that 
Father, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.10, Father, I'll be delighted to obey you in this. And Jesus moved to the forefront and his life manifest in your body. All right? So, um, none of those are the unforgivable sin. Well, what does that mean? It means whether it's intentional or unintentional, God's grace applies. And it is as if you've never even committed a sin in your life, much less that one that you just did that you're feeling guilty about. And the guilt and shame come from Satan. He, he, he tricks you in by speaking to you in what sounds like your voice. Oh, you can start that tomorrow. You really need that right now, just for a few minutes. And you'll get back right tomorrow. He's, but that's in my voice, so I think it's me. It's not. It, it's, it's Satan. All right? Um, and I've got a... I've got a verse for you on that too. Um, Genesis 50. What Satan meant for harm, God will turn to good. Okay? So, unintentional or intentional sin, Satan is the author of lies. Satan's the author of confusion. All right? And that's how he tempts us, by speaking to us in our own voice, in our mind, well, I'll start that tomorrow. But even that, God's grace applies to, and if we turn and give it to him, Lord, I'll be delighted to do this for you, and then do it. God takes what Satan meant for harm and turns it into good for you, just as he promised. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. By the way, last week, I may have gone further than Scripture goes, so I needed to make a correction there. I said, all things work together for your best. Well, that Scripture says for your good. Now, that may be splitting hairs, but the Scripture says for your good. Okay? Now, I, I believe that's God intervening and doing what is best for you. But the scripture says good. So make that distinction in your own mind. Um, now, if all of this is true, from last week and this week especially, if all this is true, the guaranteed outcome, that this applies to both intentional and unintentional sin, the only exception would be the unforgivable sin and you determine the unforgivable sin, that's not something God lays on you. That's you saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you, leaving and never coming back. Okay? Um, so if all of that is true, then whatever is happening right now in your life, must be God's will. Even if it seems like something horrible and terrible and maybe even the worst thing that ever happened to you. Okay, When Hope kicked me out of the house uh, about two years after our marriage, 
I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I thought, in fact, my life is over. That's it. My life is ruined forever. Now, today, I would say that's easily one of the five best things that ever happened to me. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. Uh, about a hundred different positive things in my life that have happened since then, 25 years, have grown out of that thing that seems so horrible and terrible to me. All right? Well, that's the way it works with grace. If all that's true, then whatever's happening now with you that may seem negative must be God's will. Well, that sounds bad at first, right? You mean God wants bad for me? No, no, he doesn't. But remember, pain and adversity is what creates maturity and then later on our, the perfect version of our, ourselves. Okay, that's James 1. Count it as joy when these adverse things happen. Because it will do this, and that will do that, and that will do that. And then the end result is the perfect you. Okay? So that's God taking what Satan meant for harm and turning it to good. But it's also how um, something very negative and painful can be happening to you. But it is God's will, and it's part of him taking the negative and turning it to positive. You just haven't gotten to the positive yet. And that's the big deal on the other side of the board about belief always being related to time. Okay? We get really caught up and tangled up in time. All right? But we need to cut through that to what is the belief? Regardless of time, what is the correct belief? about this, having examined all the issues. So, if this is true, at any given moment in your life, whether something's going good, neutral, negative, or horrible, whatever's ha if you're in the light, walking in the light, as He is in the light, if you're committed to Him, even if you make uh, 20 intentional and unintentional sins a day, then whatever's happening now must be God's will and part of his plan of your guaranteed best outcome for you. You just don't see how that's going to happen yet. But God does. All right. So what do you do? You, you surrender to him. You surrender your will. Surrender your pain. Surrender your uh, desired pleasure. Surrender your time, your present moment, your family, your work. You surrender to Him and then flow. Let Him carry you. You know the famous poem that I saw two footprints in the sand. One was me carrying my burden. The other one was the Lord there with me, beside me helping me, ensuring my best outcome, even though I don't see him there because I'm confined to this flesh. Okay, the Corinthian church, I believe, is relevant here 
the Corinthian church was about to split over uh, three things. Uh, meat sacrifice to idols, the observance of holy days, like the Sabbath, like Yom Kippur, things like that, and the eating of meat that had been used in a pagan uh, ritual service. And the Jews were saying, you have to be, oh, in circumcision. And the Jews were saying, you have to be circumcised, you have to observe holy days, and you cannot eat meat sacrificed to idols. The Gentiles were saying, wait a minute, we've been set free. We don't have to observe holy days. We don't have to be circumcised. We can eat meat sacrificed to idols. So they bring the great apostle Paul in to, you know, judge and pound his gavel and tell them uh, God's judgment on who's right and who's wrong. And I think probably both sides thought he's going he's gonna to pick our side. We're the ones that are right. And what he does is absolutely God. It's absolutely unbelievable. It, it's, it's, it's not what I would have thought would have been the message from God. And here's what Paul said. Hey, you want to observe holy days? Observe them. You don't want to observe them? Don't observe them. You want to be circumcised? <laughs> I, got a, I got a knife here somewhere. I'm sorry, bad joke. You don't want to be circumcised? Fine. You, want to, you, do, you don't want to eat meat sacrificed to idols? Don't eat it. You want to eat meat sacrificed to idols? Go ahead. Eat it. It's just meat and God made it for good. The one exception, don't cause a weaker brother to stumble with the meat thing. All right? But outside of that, yeah, it's just meat. Have at it. God made it. All right, and, and being in some pagan ritual doesn't mean that God still didn't make it and made it for good. All right, but and, and then the last thing Paul says, and this is the part that's really genius and brilliant. So basically, do whatever you want about these rules and regulations. And, you know, several weeks ago, I talked about the over 600 rules from the Old Testament for the Hebrews. Paul basically says, do what you want, but you have to love and accept each other. That is the point here. That is what God cares about. That is what is the solution to this and hits the gavel. Genius. Brilliant. Okay? It's not about the intentional or unintentional sin. There will not be anyone in hell, whatever that is, because of sin. Sin, the price for sin has been paid for everyone. The people in hell will be the people who refuse to accept the love and the free gift of God, which is Jesus, His grace, the miracle plan of love, the kingdom, uh, scripture, etc. All right? So surrender to God's flow, whether it seems positive or negative at the time, 
banking on his outcome guarantee, even if it seems negative now, and I don't know how it's going to get positive, all right? So I've got four points here to sort of wrap this up. So this is where you go. If you decide, okay, I've, I've looked up these scriptures, I've talked to some uh, mentors that I respect, I've looked up some scholars and what they say about these same passages, etc. And my beliefs are becoming consistent with what we're talking about here. All right? So if that happens and you're ready to start living this way and seeing your best outcomes guaranteed and God turning the negatives in your life to good, what do you do? All right, number one, commit to love, which means I've got to give up the end result. Now, I may be working harder than I've ever worked toward the end result, and, and you probably will be, because you work harder when you're not in stress. When you feel good, positive chemicals, positive hormones, positive thoughts and feelings, um, you do better work. All right? So uh, commit to love, give up the end result, even though you may be doing more and better than you ever did when you were trying to earn it yourself and control the end result. Because when you're trying to control the end result, it spikes your stress and you're, you're trying to do a full day's work on like a half a day's energy because stress sucks away your energy. All right? So commit to love. Give up the end result. Number two, when pain, adversity, and unhealthy desires hit, Lord, I would be delighted to obey you in this. And I would say wait about 15 minutes before you act, okay? Yeah, adversity, a desire for unhealthy, something unhealthy comes. Lord, I would be delighted to do this in obedience to you. And may the Lord please come to the forefront of my life and manifest in my physical body to your glory. And then I would wait 15 minutes at least before you actually act and continue to pray that. Please manifest in my physical body right now. Please come to the forefront of my life right now and help me choose the road I believe is right in this situation, the love-based road and the road that you would have me choose. I can't, I'm having trouble doing that in my own strength. Please come into me, physical body, and forefront of my life, lead and guide me, and empower me to do that. And we talked about how grace, that's what grace is. It's the power to do what is the right thing to do or what is the needed thing to do or what God wants you to do at that moment and time. Okay? And that power is not in me. It comes from God. All right? So that's the dying grace at dying time. Whether that is dying or whether it's to take out the garbage or to let someone in the line in traffic or whatever. Any sort of pain, adversity, unhealthy desire, etc. Alright? Number three. Um, your will be done moment by moment. 
let that be sort of my constant mantra and receiving dying grace, garbage grace, um, working hard grace, telling the truth grace, whatever's needed. And then number four, your have-tos are turned into want-tos. Um, when I was in full-time ministry for 10 years, we had, a, we had a drama group in our youth group. And we would go to different places and perform little skits. And um, we did that at one place. There was a big crowd there. And um, this beautiful, lovely 14-year-old girl in our group came on stage, said her first line, and then fell over dead. And the autopsy is there was no reason that she should have died. Okay? But her best friend after that had a vision with her that that she vowed and declared was absolutely real. It absolutely happened. That changed her best friend who was still alive on earth for the rest of her life and allowed her to be okay with her friend's death, to move on, um, that sort of thing. And it got me really interested in like near-death experiences to the point that I did a thesis on them in um, graduate school. And what's amazing is almost every near-death experience you can find, the person, when they come back to life, they are transformed. Uh, and it's almost always in a very positive way. And a lot of times people will say it's like they're a whole different person now. They were mean and now they're kind. They were stingy and now they're generous. They were real controlling and now they're not. They were, you know, it, it, and they're not trying to be. They've just been changed from the inside out. And, and the bottom line, I, I believe, and this was what I wrote in my thesis and my professor said it was a pretty good conclusion from the literature um, is that it changes your have-tos into want-tos. That for those people who had a near-death experience, it changed by and large their have-tos into want-tos in a very positive way. Okay? Uh, and this is this absolutely happened to me not in a near-death experience, but when hope kicked me out of the house and I was angry, I stayed up all night cursing, crying, everything in between, and I heard a voice in my head uh, long about daybreak that was, Alex, not only do you not love hope, you don't even know what love is. And, and it made me very angry because I taught love at that time. But I couldn't get that out of my head. And, and so over weeks, I kept thinking about it and finally started researching, talking to people, came to the conclusion that whatever that voice was, it was right. That what I had been calling love was really a business deal. I'll do this if you'll do that. If you don't do this, I won't do that. And if you don't do your part, um, it's not okay. And I experience anger, irritation, frustration, resentment, bitterness, anxiety, whatever, because you didn't do your part. 
all right? And then if that goes on, we end up splitting up or staying together for other reasons but not being happy or whatever, all right? But what happened to me at the end of that, when I did commit to love Hope, really love her, no matter what, for the rest of my life, is it changed my have-tos into want-tos. And very shortly after that, Hope and I were reunited back together and we were cleaning houses together. And my most hated thing in the world was to clean a toilet. Always has been. And I would avoid it like the plague. I would lie to get out of cleaning a toilet. All right. So after this transformation and we're back together, we're cleaning a house and we go in and Hope sends me to one end of the house to clean the toilet while she goes to the other end to dust or something. All right. And a few minutes later, she's hearing loud, joyful singing from the other end of the house, which irritates her because I'm supposed to be cleaning too so that we can get together faster and get on to the next house or home or, or whatever. And the one thing she felt sure of is that I was not doing cleaning work and singing joyfully like that, especially the toilets where she had sent me to, to clean. All right, So she comes out, oh, is walking to the other end of the house, you know, a little bit upset, gets to the door of the bathroom, looks down, and there I am on my knees cleaning the toilet and singing loudly. And that's why she could hear it. It was reverberating out of the porcelain bowl. And she said, oh, you're cleaning the toilet. And she was amazed. It had never occurred to me. I wasn't trying to have a good attitude cleaning the toilet. Not remotely. It never crossed my mind. In fact, when she reminded me of it, I was like, oh, wow. That's true. Wow. How did that happen? Because I was doing my most dreaded, hated thing in love, joy, and peace. Now, I tried to do that myself in my willpower and in several decades of my life had never come close to accomplishing it. This time, God did it to me. It was His grace, the power to do that. Okay? So that was toilet cleaning grace at toilet cleaning time, which is also evidence that I am walking in the light as he is in the light, that I'm right with him, that no matter how I'm sinning intentionally or not, I am still in a state of grace. I am still walking in the light. Okay? And when I do sin, it is never written under my name. It's as if I'm innocent, having never committed a sin in my life. The righteousness of Christ. Okay. Um, here's a question. Can your best life include chronic pain? 
or chronic lack of desirable pleasure. Ever think about that? Can your best life include chronic pain or denial of desired pleasures? And my answer is yes. Um, Ricky Slaughter was um, one of the best high school athletes I've ever seen and uh, one of the best high school athletes in Tennessee. I saw him multiple times walk into a gymnasium, flip up on his hands, and walk repeatedly around the entire basketball court on his hands. And I mean for 10 minutes without stopping and sometimes almost like he was running. I mean, it was an amazing, amazing thing. He was the starting star running back. He was one of the top tennis players in the state, one of the top basketball players, etc. And when he was 16, on a rainy night, his car flipped over, landed in a ditch. It, but before it landed in the ditch, it threw him out and then the car rolled over onto him and he was paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. Well, as you might imagine, uh, we were all devastated. He was devastated, uh, thought his life was over, very angry, etc. But uh, years later, he wrote a book. And in the book, a, a good bit of the book was describing how that was really such a blessing to him and probably the best thing that could have ever happened to him in his life because his belief is that he never would have been in a love committed relationship with God if that had never happened. He was probably the wildest teenager I've ever seen too at at that time and very arrogant, prideful, uh, you know, chest out, uh, look at me, all that sort of thing. And then later, when he wrote the book, you wouldn't even recognize him as the same person. Humble, kind, sparkle in his eye. Um, was he in chronic pain and, and, and discomfort? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, big time, all right? He believed as I do, that God worked those circumstances in his life that Satan meant for harm, including the car wreck and becoming a paraplegic for good, which was internally him being set free and being in a place of love, joy, and peace internally, regardless of his external circumstances, just like Viktor Frankl did in the Holocaust and said, I exercise the last of human freedoms, the right and ability to choose my attitude and inward state regardless of my circumstances. Okay? So, um, yes, I believe absolutely your best life could include chronic pain, or a lack of desired pleasure. Remember, this life is just a mist that appears for a second 
and then is gone compared to the next life. We're promised a hundredfold later for our loss now. Okay? Um, and, and what is coming for me versus what I have now, there's no comparison. Okay? Um, and I believe that. And I've seen it and I believe it is supported in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12.10 When I am weak, then I am strong. Delight yourself in the Lord, and when you are weak, that's when you are strong. It was at the end of Paul's ministry, not the beginning, where Paul says, What a wretched worm I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, it was from that humble, lowly place that God was able to make him strong to preach, to teach, to write, to um, be the lead banner carrier for the New Testament church. In fact, Paul says something no one else, none of the other biblical writers say. Paul says, I was given the entire gospel. Doesn't say that about anybody else. Okay? So, when you are weak, then you're strong. What's the deal about that? Well, we think when we're weak, we're bad. We're not as good. Okay? I want to be strong, man. Well, you can't be strong enough. And to be strong as strong as you need, you have to become weak so God will give you His grace, power to do the thing that you're not strong enough to do. It's, it's a paradox. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Okay? So, let's, let's wrap up where we started. Does Scripture support that whether the sin is intentional or unintentional, that I'm still promised my best outcome, I'm still given dying grace or whatever grace is needed for whatever's in front of me right now, God will take what Satan means for harm and turn it to good, and regardless of whether I'm experiencing pain or a lack of desired pleasure, adversity, no matter what, regardless. God will turn it to good. Okay, and wrapping up, my last surprise for you today, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, says, Delight yourself in <laughs> weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. <laughs> Delight yourself. Another version says, 
I be content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. Delight in or be content with these these horrible, terrible things that are happening and maybe even keep happening because when I am weak, then I'm strong. Then I get God's grace for the situation and my guaranteed best outcome every time. All right? So, that's the unbelievable, unfathomable plan of love that God had before the foundation of the world and gave his son and all kinds of pain to him and Jesus over thousands and thousands, maybe millions and millions of years in order for me and you to have this today as a way that we can live our life, okay? Um, So, I hope this week, this is a revelation to you that whether your sin is intentional or unintentional, as long as you are committed to God, as long as that is your intention long term, the sin is not the issue because it's been taken care of for all time for every person. So you will receive grace, your best outcome, turning what is negative into good, your perfect outcome, and a hundredfold for your loss. Nothing can compare, etc. All right? So the evidence that you're walking in the light is not necessarily a lack of pain. It is being content with the pain, and and this is what I'm calling pain, weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. It's being content even in the midst of that because I know he promises my outcome and the grace to do what is best now as well. Okay? All right. That's a lot. And I'm sorry to dump truck on you. Um, But that is the next step. And I hope we're tying all the loose ends kind of together, laying a foundation for this life that Jesus paid for us to have and maybe getting back on track in a way that, that the church has been off track to some extent for a long time because it was based not on the Jerusalem church, but on the Roman Catholic church and the Inquisition and all their rules and, and consequences and punishments and uh, the Bible being tied to the podium where the common people don't even get to see it. Uh, and then the mistranslations done because um, some of the translators knew they were doing it for the, the Catholic Inquisition-based authorities, and if they translated certain ways, they may be killed, 
or put in jail or whatever. So you have to be careful about the translation and what it says in the original. Fortunately, that's easier to determine today than it's ever been. In fact, I've got a Bible called the Discovery Bible that on every significant word, you can just touch the word and it will immediately give you the underlying meaning in the original language, okay? Uh, We didn't have those kind of things when I grew up, all right? So there's really no excuse if you um, really want this life. So I know I've gone too long. I know I've repeated myself. I apologize. Um, I try to say it in a couple of different ways because I know different language affects different personality types in different ways. So, um, sorry about that. But this is too important to me to leave without trying to fully explain. Okay? And again, don't accept this just because I say it. Uh, Please don't do that. Research, pray, meditate, talk to others for yourself. And then uh, in prayer and meditation, leading and guiding from God determine your beliefs. The whole truth, not just what you were taught growing up or part of the truth. Okay? Which means you have to understand and you have to get pretty much all angles. Okay? All right. Thank you so very much. Uh, Please give me feedback and have a wonderful, blessed day. Thank you.